Oh, boy, what a beautiful video. Um, I just uh, couldn't help but be reminded, and uh, it's been on my heart this whole week. And before we jump into the sermon this morning, we want to pray for, uh, for our community at Myrtle Beach High School. We lost uh, two students this week. And uh, I just, it, you know, when I think about my life here along the Grand Strand and, and uh, having started out ministering to high school students and and all, and, and then I hear something like this and see something like this. It really does break my heart. And, uh, you know, we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is our community. This, these are the people we are sent to love. These are the people we're sent to care for and, and tell them of the hope of Jesus. And so could we lift, do you know what I'm talking about, the two young students who, um, uh, off of one of the hotels and uh, two high school students and uh and so are these two young ladies with families and uh, people who love them and students who love them. And so, Father, we lift this, these families up to you. We lift the students up to you that love uh, these two and cared for them and are missing them today and have so many questions. And Father, as a church who loves our community, as a group of people who are all over this beach and up and down what's called the Grand Strand and in Lona Ways as well, Lord, this is our feel this is this is our place of love responsibility and uh, so we ask for you to honor our prayers this morning two ways father one be there with those who are lo- who have sense of, such a sense of loss and maybe confusion today and secondly lord that you would give us opportunities to speak life and hope into the lives of those affected by this tragedy Father, grant us, let us have ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing in our community so we can step in as emissaries of hope, as people of promise, as people who know there is something beyond this that's so beautiful, but, Lord, that you want to bring it to earth even now, this hope alive now. So, Lord, help us see how we can be a part of healing and a part of hope. And uh, thank you, Father, that here it is Easter and we're celebrating resurrection and the crucifixion of of Christ. There's hope. And so, Lord, we thank you for that and use us, Lord, and to bring hope to our community. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody, and I hope you will come out this weekend. We're going to have a good Friday service. We're going to have a Saturday Easter service with around 4, 4.30, I think, for the kids, and all of this going on, and then a service at 6.30, Easter service on Saturday. At 6.30, and then the three services on Sunday. So there's five, uh, four different services, five different services you can take advantage of over the weekend. And I do hope you'll pass the cards out, invite people. This is one of those times where people will come with you. Your friends will come with you on Easter. And uh, I promise you this. I promise you this. If they come, they're going to hear about Jesus. I promise you that. And they're going to hear about Jesus that loves them and cares for them. And, uh, and so invite your friends, invite them to come. I think it's close to 70% of people who will come, maybe even a little more, who will come if you ask them. And so don't, don't be shy. Put a card in their hand and say, hey, come on to my church next, next Sunday, you know, or Saturday or Friday. Well, we are in the series. We've got one more to go on Easter morning, and that is Conversations on the Way to the Cross. We have kind of eavesdropped in on the conversations Jesus has had with different types of people. And uh, I've tried to, when I've read this, and I hope you have too as you've worked your way through it, actually put yourself in the conversation. 
Look at uh, what is going on. Look at the types of people. This is a part of understanding scripture. And then sit down at the table or eavesdrop or sit outside the house as Jesus is having a meal with someone. And they're talking and kind of stick your head in and listen to it and, and try to follow Jesus in those moments. And today, Palm Sunday, we, we come to a point in conversations where Jesus is on what's called the skull, Golgotha, the hill where they crucified people. But, you know, Jesus has had so many different conversations uh, through his fairly short life. And, and, I mean, with Pharisees, with Sadducees, because they were sad, you see. Not really, but you know, one, belie- one believed. I'm sorry, corny preacher jokes, I know, yeah. Took me a long time to get into corny preacher jokes from my other life years ago. But, you know, now I like them. Uh, but, you know, one believed in the resurrection and another one didn't, the other group. And so uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious leaders, I mean, Jesus had conversations. He had a lot of problems with them, but he talked with them. He had exchanged words with them. He had words with wealthy people. He had words, uh, he shared words with the poor people. He shared words with a mom who was about to lose uh, her son, and they're coming out of the house carrying him. All these stories are in Luke, the, where we are this morning. And, and he, you know, he tells the mom, I love these exchanges. He looks as the, as the widow is coming out with her son who is so desperately ill. And, and she, she says, don't worry. He says, don't worry to her. Don't worry. He, he comes to, uh, you know, like a graveyard, and there's this person who is oppressed by demonic spirits and uh, he's just harassed day and night. And what does Jesus say to him? What's your name? <laughs> I mean, what a king, huh? But this king, Jesus, was not the king they were expecting to come. And as excited as people got about the things that Jesus said and the stories he told and the miraculous events that happened and unfolded in his life... It comes a time in it where, where it's hitting the pinnacle of, is Jesus really going to set up his rule and his reign? And if he is, what's it going to look like? And so everybody is celebrating and thinking that's going to happen. And, and then finally they arrest him, as we looked at last week. And things are not looking well, it seems like, for this king. What kind of king is this that lets himself get arrested? What kind of king is this that is taken before Caiaphas and before Annas and before Pilate twice and, and the, the religious leaders and the Roman governor? And what kind of king lets that happen to him? Be slapped in the midst of his trial and mistreated. What kind of king lets the people accuse him of things that never happened and they never can one time prove that he did anything worthy of death? The Roman governor can't find it. Nobody can. What kind of king is this? And you know, your expectations for what the king is like sets you up for whether uh, you're going to really enjoy when this king shows himself or not. And at this point in our story and eavesdropping, people are a little, they're let down. They're exasperated. They're like, well, we had all our hope in this guy. And look at him, how frail he is now, standing on this hill after he's been beaten for hours and mistreated and he's make, they're making fun of him and so they lead him out to the hill, and uh, they have two thieves, criminals, the scripture calls it. And uh, it was a serious crime. Not, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but serious. And so they lead him out with two criminals. And here is the king, frail, beaten, weary, with no one standing up for him. What kind of king is this? 
And this is where we're going to join the, conver- uh, join the conversation this morning. If you have your scripture, we'll be over in Luke 23, uh, verses 32 through 43. It's on the back of your handout. If you flip it over, there's a fill-in back there. The scripture is also back there. It's going to be on the screens. But if you take the hot rod out for a spin, uh, you know, not your app. You know, I'm, I'm a hot rodder from the 60s, and... Uh, you know, I, I like to take the hot rod for a spin. I even like the exhaust. I love the way it smells. A V8, you know, you know, just three deuces, positive track. You know, it's just, you know, I like this. But if you got the app, if you if you had the little Fiat, um, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm all for economy. That's good. Just go ahead and take it for a spin as well. And so we're going to read this scripture, and uh, and then I'll pray a short prayer. I know we've already kind of interceded this morning, but I'll ask for a short blessing over His Word, and, and and we'll jump into this. So let's read it. Let's put it up on the script on the screens. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know." What they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and asked, If you are not, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. Now, this was just to tick off the Jewish leaders. Pilate did this. Pilate did this because he was just kind of... But Pilate didn't realize he was really prophesying at the same time. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Kind of a redundant theme here, isn't it? Uh, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, bless the reading of your word. Uh, Be with us this morning as we uh, unfold this and and take a look at it. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come and bring it to life in us. And I ask for you to have your way in us today, Lord. Convict us, uh, encourage us, bring us along. And what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, they've crucified Jesus. They've lifted him up in the middle. Uh, There is one on his right, a criminal, one on his left. And right now, the people are thinking, Jesus is just one of the 30,000 people. Just one of the 30,000 Pilate has crucified. Imagine being responsible for 30,000 crucified people. And so uh, there's nothing very special about him. And uh, if you've got your fill in and you've got a pen, I do want you to track along because this I do more teaching probably than preaching, but this is how we get to know the Scripture. And so uh, uh, come on and travel with me, journey with me as we do this. So your first fill in is this. I want you to notice that Jesus puts himself within reach of all, of all. Jesus puts himself in reach of all. He has been with the Pharisees. He has been with the Sadducees. He has been with a woman who was possessed by seven demons. He has been 
around a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. He has been around a family that loved him. He has been around tax collectors. I love the story of Zacchaeus and Levi. And I love the story with Zacchaeus is just trying to see Jesus. And I mean, they are the most reviled, hated people in Israel, the tax collector. And this little short tax collector climbs a tree to try to just get a view at this famous guy, Jesus. And Jesus walks by and looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. I must. And I love this kind of imperative moment. Like, you got to do it. I must come and stay at your house today. I've got to be there. Tax collectors. Who does he invite? The only friends he has. Other tax collectors. Right? You were like that one time. The only friends you had were tax collectors. That was my... The only friends I had at one time were tax collectors. When I became a Christian, who did I gather? The tax collectors. That's who came around. And so... Uh, he did the same thing. We get so many different types of people. The, the wealthy guy that came and said, how can I you know, inherit the kingdom? And Jesus talks with him to the poor, to the leper, to the outside of the temple who every day would beg and, and who he healed. And, and it just goes on and on. And now these last few hours of Jesus' life, where is he? Right between two criminals. Jesus seems to always put himself within reach of every kind of person. Right up to the last moment of his life, he is in contact with criminals right there. And he's still not thinking of himself. He's still looking to his left and right. And so Jesus puts himself within reach of all people. I, uh, I can't help but see the, the, the contrast in this as is the passage we just read. Three times they tell him to save himself. And what is he doing? He's trying to save others. <laughs> you save yourself, Jesus, if you're who you say you are. Come on down, do it. Come on down, call the angels like you said you could. Come on down, do it. Instead of saving himself, he's reaching out to the criminals on both sides of him. He's still doing that. He's still reaching out. There's all kinds of people in this room. Every type of economic person, wherever you are, there's professions, there's all kinds of people here. And Jesus stands right in the midst of this room today as he did on Easter with his hands out going, hey, I'm here for you. He's within reach of any one of us at any time, even the last moments of life. He's there. It's just an amazing. See, what kind of king is this? (laughs) What kind of king makes himself available to everyone? Most kings don't do that. Most kings you can't get in to see. You just see pictures. You just see videos. You hear people who tell you the stories. And yet this king throws his arms out and he welcomes everyone. You're welcome here. This is a different kind of king. And this is a different moment in history. Uh, when he's at Zacchaeus's house, he says this, and uh, this is over in Luke 19. You don't have to turn to it. Uh, but he says in Luke 19, whenever the Pharisees begin to criticize him, he says to them, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, you know, think about this for a minute. The Son of Man, now the King of the Jews, came to what? Seek, not sit back and go, You can come into my courts. I'm the King. Come on in. You know, you've got to have the right posture. You've got to have the right uh, demeanor. My guards are going to have to check you out before you get in here. You know, there's going to be an entourage around. 
you to protect me from you. What kind of king says, I came to seek you out? And the reason I came to look for you is to save you. What kind of king does that? There's only one that I know of. And right now he's hanging on the cross. What kind of king does that? Secondly, look at the, look at the scripture in 35 through 42. And uh, your second feeling is this. There are only two kinds of people. Really, there are only two kinds. Even in this room today, there are only two kinds of people. And if in that passage of Scripture, it, it, uh, it says, when he says, aren't you the Messiah, the one criminal? Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebukes them and says, don't you fear God? Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. But the other one says, since you're under the same sentence, don't you even fear God at your death, as you're facing death? And This criminal has a moment of clarity where he owns his behavior and he owns all that he is. And he says, we are getting our just desserts. This is what what our life has come to. This. But this man, this man in between us has done nothing. And then he asks a very simple request. And he asks of this man, this king... He says, remember me. That's all. He just wants to be remembered. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to live my life and then nobody remember me. And so Jesus, would you remember me? Just remember me. There's really two types of people. There's the one, like the criminal on one side, who says, you know, hey, you said you're the Messiah. Save yourself. And by the way, save us too. You know, get us down off of here. There's what he has. And before that, if you look in the other Gospels, it actually uses the word blasphemy. And that is that that particular criminal and maybe even the other one at one point were cursing Jesus, railing at him, accusing him. But then the moment comes where the one criminal begins to have a moment of what we would probably call the church repentance. He has a, a moment when he knows his life is almost gone. And he's like, okay, this is the real deal. I have to face it. There's two people in this room. There's two people in the world like this. One who will keep asking God over and over again. If you are God, prove it to me. And then there are others who on the other side of this, go, Jesus, remember me. I don't even deserve, I don't even deserve to be with you. But if you could just remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'll be, I'll be okay. Two people, two types of people. And we've seen this throughout Jesus' life. Some have listened, some have responded, and some have been critical, and some have distanced themselves over and over again. How many conversations do those of us who do share our faith or someone, or you're outed, somebody finds out you're a Christian, you know. That happened to me in Starbucks. I got outed. I got outed as a pastor, and uh, I kept it for a year. You know, I was trying to be undercover. And then one of the baristas came up to me and said, aren't you a pastor? I'm like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> but, but, but that opened up a whole other opportunity. But, but when we do share our faith or we talk to someone, how many people go, if God would prove that he exists to me, I would believe. I have an ongoing conversation that some of you in this church know with some people about these kind of things. And I keep going, why, you know, what more does he have to do? 
I mean, what more does he have to do? Where are you? Which group of people are you in? Are you on the left side of Jesus? Are you on the right side of Jesus? Because Easter brings us to that point in life where God cannot do any more than he has done to tell you he's real and he cares about you. There's no more that can be done. No more. This king who could have called tens of thousands of angels to come and rescue him didn't do it. What kind of king is this? Because... You see, expectations are everything. And when you expect a king to look one way and he comes another way, you have to adjust because he's not going to adjust. He's who he is. He's the sovereign Lord of all. And he says, I came to serve. And we are not used to a king serving. He came and he served all of us by giving his life. One side. There's only two people. There's You say, well, I'm in the middle. No, you're not in the middle. There is no middle here. You either know and you believe or you don't. No middle. I'm sorry, I'm a nice guy. I know that. I'm not putting you down. But I'm saying if you turn your back on this moment on the cross, when Jesus looked to one side and he looked to the other, then you're missing the whole thing. You're missing the power of the moment and the power of the cross, the love of God in the midst of this horrid moment is also a beautiful moment. A moment the world has been waiting for for thousands of years. From Genesis right on to the point now. Now it's coming down to this moment on Golgotha. On the skull where Jesus will give up his life for the sins of mankind. And that thief who said remember me will get more than a memory from Jesus. And you will too. You will too. There are two types of people. One, and this is your next fill in there, there's those who say it's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's crazy, Tim, what you're telling me. Some religions will say that God will now never allow himself to be killed because that is contradictory. How can you kill God? Well, that's the king, isn't it? He's not a king like you expected. He came for us. He came for our sins. He came to establish a kingdom with Citizens of the kingdom with brothers and sisters in a kingdom. And this is the only way it could be done. This price that was paid by God himself. But there are those who just don't believe. They say, oh, you guys are crazy. They make fun. They write books. They write books about us. Those of us who believe. And they say we're silly. We're foolish. And even this thief, this criminal on the cross uses a word... That really means, uh, you know, it's moronic, like what you're doing. It, it, you're a moron, <laughs> if you believe. And, uh, and so, you know, you go with that. You either go like, okay, I'm on this side with those who accuse those like this, or I'm on this side who says, yeah, it's the foolishness of God, you know. But it's the foolishness, it's the foolishness that has saved me, that God in his sovereignty and in his love has come and done. It looks like a foolish thing to mankind. But it's the greatest love that's ever been expressed. One side or the other. Either it's foolishness or, and this comes from 1 Corinthians 1.18 where uh, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness, in other words moronic, to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. But then the the rest of that verse says, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There are those who say it's foolishness. In part B, there are those who say it's the power of salvation. That's what it is. 
And that's where we stand. It's, it's clear. It's clear that's where we are. All people are in one of those groups. And Jesus has, he's available to both. He's standing there with his hands out to both. Going, here I am. Do you want to respond? Here I am with you in this horrible moment with you. He can't save himself. But he can still save others, even in that moment. C.S. Lewis, uh, those of you who read the, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and all of this, uh, he, we read all kind of different testimonies about him and how he came to Christ and all. But the, one of the stories is that uh, he got on in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle and uh, went to the London Zoo. And he said he got in the sidecar, an atheist, and when he got out at the London Zoo, he was a Christian. <laughs> I mean, you know, who, you know, this king does some crazy things in some moments where he's surprisingly there. And, I mean, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, the former slave trader, God gripped his heart. You know, he lashed himself to the wheel of a boat, slave boat. And while he was in the ocean, being tossed and turned, tied to that wheel, cried out to God for forgiveness. He came to know Christ, and we get Amazing Grace from him because of that. Those moments when you go from one side to the next side. Or maybe you're sitting in a radio hotel room in 1971 at a surfing contest, and you didn't go there expecting, you know, to see Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. And you go from being that person who just thinks it's foolishness to suddenly going, this is not foolishness. This is the wisdom of God in a moment. Or maybe you're here in this church in Myrtle Beach on Palm Sunday, and all of a sudden, something breaks in your heart, and you go from thinking it was foolishness to that's the power of God to salvation. Jesus is. There are only two types of people. Jesus is standing in the middle and offering who he is to both. To both. And he did at that moment. You know, there's, there's some awesome journeys. I want you to watch a video clip of a young lady who had a journey in her faith walk. And, uh, and you know, we all are where we are and... That is exactly as we started this sermon this morning by saying Jesus showed up in people's lives right where they are. So watch this, please. One of the hardest things as an atheist is that all of these values, why am I important? Why should people care about me? A lot of those things come from your own performance. As the daughter of two atheists, Jordan Manji felt she had a lot to prove. You have to understand, my family is very competitive. There's always been a high priority on being the best. So much about my identity was founded on I'm the smartest one in the room, right? I'm not the prettiest, I'm not the most athletic, right? I'm the smartest. At 11 years old, Jordan decided there was no God and began openly challenging her Christian classmates. I would bring the Bible to school with post-it notes where all the contradictions were, and then I would say, tell me why this isn't a contradiction, and they couldn't really do it. But in high school, Jordan started to see a contradiction in her own beliefs. She considered herself a good person, but that raised a question she couldn't answer. Where does morality come from, if not from God? Why is something right or wrong? Why do I believe in human rights? I don't believe in a God, so where are these things coming from? 
I had gone and asked all of these other people and nobody had a good answer. I had this kind of epiphany where I said, I'm gonna wait until college to explore those questions so that I can get into a good school. And that worked out pretty well because I got into Harvard. There, she quickly discovered she was no longer at the top of the class. Now being surrounded by people with whom I'm no longer the smartest person in the room 95% of the time, it destroys that sense of identity and of worth and it makes you wonder who really am I and what makes me valuable. As Jordan began to question her worth, she became friends with Joseph Porter, a Christian conservative who gave her even more questions to think about. It really started pressing me on where does your morality come from? Why do you believe in it? You're just saying it kind of emerges from nowhere. I started seeing maybe there are these cracks in my own intellectual framework. Jordan enrolled into a meta-ethics class, hoping to find answers that would strengthen her argument. Instead, she was assigned a short reading assignment, an essay by C.S. Lewis. Essentially what C.S. Lewis says is, God is goodness. God is the good. And our lives are good when we strive to imitate God. It was mind-blowing. Jordan wanted to explore this idea further, so she decided to read the Bible again. This time, she would try to understand it, not critique it. And when she read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, she was struck by what he said about what it means to be good. As an atheist, I was living life better, according to a Christian ethic, than a lot of Christians were. Like, I wasn't sleeping around, I wasn't doing drugs, I wasn't drinking, I was a good student. And so it was very easy for me to think of myself as a good person. And it was only when I went back to the words of Jesus and I saw, no, you're an angry person. You may not be sleeping around, but you experience lust. You are very arrogant. You think too highly of yourself. Seeing those things made me realize that I wasn't really a good person. Maybe there's some truth here that I haven't figured out yet. Maybe I don't know the best way to run my life. Jordan kept reading until she came to John 19. I had finally made it to the crucifixion scene. And as I was reading it, I had this moment where I just said, no, Aslan, no. For years, Jordan believed C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe was just a story. But now as she read of Jesus' crucifixion, she realized her favorite tale from Narnia was more than a work of fiction. Aslan, the great lion of Lewis's story, was Jesus. And she was just like Edmund, arrogant, but redeemed. It just immediately clicked, like, I am Edmund, Jesus is Aslan, and he is dying for my sake. Seeing it now with me in the story was just a totally radically new way of looking at it and realizing kind of my own sinfulness in that moment and my own need for healing from that sin made all the difference in how I read it. And so I started just crying, thinking about, really thinking about Aslan, but thinking about Jesus through that process. Realizing in that moment that you're Edmund is to realize I'm powerless. I need help. I recognized my own incurable need for forgiveness that could only come from Jesus Christ. Still, that wasn't enough to break Jordan's deeply rooted need for intellectual evidence of God. 
So she poured over every scientific argument, analyzed every prominent religion, and all the evidence pointed her back to Jesus Christ. One of the things that helped me the most to eliminate my pride was having to admit that I had been wrong all of those years as an atheist. Ultimately, it came down to a profound yet simple truth. As I thought about what love really was, I could see how Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect embodiment of that. God is love and God is truth, so God is goodness. It was at that point when I realized, if I want to try this Christianity business, I can't do it half-heartedly. I have to be fully committed. On April 12, 2009, Jordan gave her life to Jesus. Since then, she has grown even stronger in her faith. She graduated from Harvard in 2012, recently married, and is currently pursuing a doctoral degree at Fuller Theological Seminary. But she says none of that determines her value. What is man that God is mindful of him? What am I that I have value? So long, my value had come from the things that I had done. So moving to a framework where instead, the reason I knew I was valuable was because Christ had died for me, that he loved me regardless of what I would ever do. It's immensely freeing. Wow, yeah. See, here's the beauty of it. You can go from here to here. You can go from one side of doubting, of being pessimistic. You can go from being that person, just like Jordan did, to being the one on this side, it says, remember me. And, you know, here's your last feeling, and that is that good news is timely. Good news is timely. It's not good news if it's not timely, right? And notice that Jesus says back to the criminal, today, like in this moment, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, in other words, they knew the life was just seeping out of them. This criminal knew that. The most he could even hope for was that this kind man that knew he did nothing wrong for anyone would remember him. Instead, Jesus offers him eternity in the moment. Timely because in that moment is all he had. He had wasted his whole entire life up to that moment. And yet Jesus was there today. And he says, you will be with me in paradise. He asked about the kingdom and because that's what he'd heard about Jesus. But Jesus says, you will be in paradise. Remember our study back before paradise is that wayside inn, that wonderful, refreshing place that we are with Jesus and with those that have gone before us before he brings his kingdom to this earth and we all come back with him. And that's what Jesus is saying. You will be with me today in paradise. We're both going to die. I'll be there in paradise. We'll be, I'll be there with you. Of course, I got to come back. <laughs> in a couple of days, and, uh, and and give a few, you know, instructions for about 30 days or so, and uh, then I'll be back, you know. And so uh, that is the good news, is it's very relative to this moment, today. That is great news and good news. So in this room today, we've got people who are not quite there yet, and yet Jesus is here with his hand extended to you. And to those of you who are like, okay, I'm ready, Lord. And his hand's extended to you. The only question today is, how are you going to respond to those hands? What are you going to do? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that you came. And you said that you, Lord, you, that you so loved the world. That's the one on the left and the one on the right. That, that Father, that you gave your only son. That whosoever would believe, the one on the left or the one on the right, whichever one would believe, Lord, in you, in you, Jesus, would have eternal life. That is the message of Easter. Just the message of the cross. That all of life for that criminal up to that moment can be forgiven. And he can have a home in the future and for eternity with the king. So, Father, I pray now uh, that indeed, whichever side of the cross we find ourselves on this morning, that we would look and see that Christ's arms are extended to us. And we can respond. And so while we're praying and around this room, I want to ask, are you going to respond to Jesus today? Or are you going to respond to his call like the criminal did and said, Jesus, remember me? And then he received so much more than just being remembered. Is that you? Would you say, yeah, I want to respond to that today. Just let me know by lifting your hand and go, I'm going from one side of that cross to the other side of it. I'm leaving that area for that one criminal that did not fear God. And I'm moving to the other side of it where, Lord, remember me. Would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Just let me know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I also pray for those of us in this room who carry the message of Easter in our hearts. For we have been the criminal who has looked over to you and called on your mercy and your grace. You have poured it out on us. And like Jordan Manji, Lord, we have had our journeys and our questions, but Lord, we have realized because of your grace that you are indeed the true king and you have come to liberate us to be what you have always called us to be and what we desire to be deep in our hearts, free, Lord, free.